bringing you Grassroots Matters interviews with our host, Sally, from Grassland Nutrition, and special guests and collaborators on the topic of nutrition, and more. All right, let's dive headfirst into this episode. Welcome to our Grassroots Matters episode with glioblastoma survivor Pablo Kelly. In this episode, Pablo talks about his relationship with his ego, his strength, and how important connection is. Dive right in. I'm going to ask you um, a few kind of sidewaysy questions. I've um, listened to an awful lot of um, the interviews that you've given already, and they are plentiful. And they are extremely informative, and I would like to point to those. Um, I, I really particularly liked the uh, the Anthony Chaffee interview. That was that was really in depth. That was that was great. Okay. Um, and so to to point to those, to catalogue to those, I, I just want to, I guess, um, just get into the kind of nitty gritty of of kind of your your psyche. Like, I mean, how how you're kind of managing above and beyond the you know the diagnosis and how you've um you know progressed evolved and um you know yeah. defied um at the odds really um are you all right if i just fly in yeah yeah no worries yeah i have about five questions to ask you and oh, i'll yeah. just ask and i'll zip up yeah <laughs> great um so pablo what are your essential kind of day-to-day activities your kind of non-negotiables that help you to maintain your best self I'd say if I was actually practicing what I preach like fully, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'd be getting up with the sun. Um, But I don't do that because, you know, I've got these things, these effects of having a brain tumor, so fatigue. Um, So in the mornings, I don't want to get up. I just want to rest. But the body wants to rest. Um, But I know it would be better for me if I woke up early. So me and my wife were actually starting the transition from waking up when the sun's already up to waking up to the sun and then going outside grounding getting some sunlight and then um doing the breakfast routine with the children but um for me you know it's probably the most important thing i need to get into because you know it's easy enough to procrastinate but one thing that is non-negotiable in my activities is my my awareness of my ego (laughs) so the 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 most common thing that anyone with cancer gets is this spike of fear, the the, the fear of death. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's not, it's more prevalent in my life now. I've got to be constantly aware that I'm dying. I don't believe that I'm dying. <laughs> I don't feel in my body, in my heart, and my my brain that I'm dying. Um, I'm constantly practicing the preachings of presence you know being aware in the moment rather than living in my past and going why did this happen fearing my future what if happened what happens if i die (laughs) i think everyone can do this and everyone should do it because we live in such a fast-paced and uh ignorant world we we believe that our mind is the only thing that matters but that's just the attachment to ego. So ego is this identity that we all believe we are, this persona that we play. It's like an act. We're like acting out a play. So I find that most people I meet are playing a game with each other. It's all fake. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I really, I don't despise it. I understand why it's there. People have to protect themselves. 
we can't all be honest to each other, but you can be honest to yourself, right? So don't lie to yourself. And that's why I try and practice is just awareness. How would I want to be treated? If I was talking to someone, how would they want to be treated? <laughs> I don't just go, oh, I need something for me. I don't try and gain something all the time. And that's, you know, apart from my life, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to gain. It's uh, extra life. <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest part of it is to be present if i was if i was afraid constantly i don't think i'd be here today yeah yeah so so that's something that you work on kind of day to day yeah yes, I, I mean i wouldn't say it. i have symptoms so i have my epilepsy which yeah. i haven't had a grand mal seizure for two two and a half years right. but i do have auras i have these sensations that are associated with having a brain tumor mm-hmm and when that happens, there's always a spike of fear. And I've got, I've learned in nine years, you know, a lot of practice. I've had lots of grand mal seizures. I've had lots of issues, um, you know, driving, being out and about in public where I've had grand mal seizures. And it's taught me a big lesson to not fear. <laughs> when it when it crops up a seizure, I've got to calm myself straight away. If I if I give into the fear, that stress, cortisol, then my understanding, I've learned to be a bit more calm. <laughs> yeah. So for example, about two years ago, maybe three years ago, when Malachi was just born, we went out in the car to get some food in Totnes. We went on an old country road and we, we got to quite a, a T-junction. And as we were reaching the T-junction, slowing down, there was like a slip road coming onto this old country road. And a motorbike came about 70 miles per hour and hit our bonnet. <laughs> and he almost died, right? But my initial reaction was anger rather than fear. Like, who the fuck had the audacity to try and kill us? <laughs> Being, un, you know, uncare and uncaring. And um, I got out of the car. My my door was actually caved. And I got out of the car. My adrenaline got me out of the car. Yeah, for sure. I went to shout at the guy. And I realized he was, you know, he couldn't move. So I went, okay, I've got to act. <laughs> Rather than being angry or fearful, I went, okay, what can I do to help this person? So that's my kind of mindset has always been that. I focus not all about me you know maybe i've got cancer but it's not all about me it's about how everyone around me treats it <laughs> and treats me yeah yeah and if i've got on a i'm not being brave i'm I've got, i am strong that's the, that's the thing that i've learned is i'm strong because i'm not afraid of it i said if i'm going to die i'm going to die my way <laughs> no. yeah yeah undoubtedly no yeah this is you getting in the way of you living your life yeah. you know your partner you your kids you know this is exceptionally inconvenient but um, (laughs) (laughs) you're doing great um and so what would you say keeps you most positive and energized when yeah maybe dealing with that ego the fact that I can, I can, I'm aware of it, you know, when I'm aware of it and it's, you know, I have an argument with my wife, for example, over something so petty, it's inconsequential. In and yet afterwards, I will always go, why, why will we fighting over, you know, how clean something is? <laughs> Does that really matter in our, in our relationship? No, it doesn't. You know, I find that most relations are full of um, people uh, not connecting properly. <laughs> and I find that, yeah just um it's got a got a change uh that's what i've been doing you know this this whole experience has changed me for the better (laughs) 
I did a summit recently, and that I did it with some uh, some other thrivers with brain cancer and bodily cancer, and we all agreed that relationships are important. But we all all agreed that love is the most important thing. So letting go of the ego means to love, <laughs> to commit yourself to to let go of yourself <laughs> in the company of another. I've forgotten what you asked me. But <laughs> Also accept who you are, but yeah, and here's me thinking, hmm, I wonder if you wipe the sides down a little bit more now. Yeah. <laughs> um, whatever it might be. But but yeah, love is love is absolutely paramount and self-love, first of all, right? Yeah. One of the scariest things though for a human to give away <laughs> yeah. to trust another to love you. Most definitely. That's hard. Yeah, particularly if you have difficulties uh with with who you are yourself a lot of people feel that's the ego that's... telling you that you're not good enough i'm not i've done, I'm not done this my parents aren't proud of me because i didn't do what they asked me to do it's never about them it's never about just you it's about letting go of all that this these ideas that you can be better mm. perfect we're mm. all perfect we're born innocent and when we realize that we're all still innocent there's no right or wrong in terms of uh, I mean, there is right or wrong, right? We believe that. That's a concept. But it's the choices we make, right? We're not born into poverty. We choose poverty. <laughs> and most people, you know, pe people would say, you're wrong in saying that. That's just an opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Say, my parents had trauma. My parents had trauma, right? They passed that trauma on to me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to change that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I'm aware of it. I've had a chance because I'm dying. <laughs> To be aware that there's something I can do to change it. You know, my father wasn't around, so I resented him for a long time. And I've got to let go of that resentment. Yeah. In doing so, I'll be a better parent. Yeah. But that took a lot of hard work because I still doubt myself. I'm like, oh, what if I do this? What if I die? What have they got? And with your parents, um, you said that um, you're five miles away from, you know, where you were born and grew up. Um, are you closer? With your... No, no, they're further away now. Oh, well, they, they moved away. My mum's in Exeter, my, my dad's in Glastonbury. Um, and most of my family's in either North Devon or South Devon or, you know, 20, 30 miles away. So we don't really see each other that much. Which yeah. I think it's part of the problem in society is that our, we used to be close-knit families, right? All our generations were teaching the children how to behave. But now we're all separated because we all want more. <laughs> And yeah, I've been learning about this recently. There's a book called Hunt Gather Parents. It's a really good book. Mm. It's about mm. tribal tribal mindset to parenting and how they're all connected. Anyway, that's another story. Yeah, that that does sound very interesting. Um, I'll make a little note. Talk to us about how you've changed the way that you eat. Yeah, since since not only since your diagnosis, uh, when you decided to take things in your own hands, um, but also how that's evolved over time. What does that look like for you? Initially, there was there was nothing uh, really provided for information about brain tumors and diet. <laughs> the 2014 was so limited. I met one person through word of mouth um, who was a low grade brain tumor, and she was doing ketogenic diet. And she said, "I've stabilized my tumor." And I think she was inoperable. And they um, they said, well, watch and wait. <laughs> and she's like, I can't accept that. And she did the diet, right? Yeah. 
So when I met her, I'd done a lot of research and I found a ketogenic diet for children with epilepsy and it really helps them, can help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So um, initially I started on a, a macrobiotic diet, which is the Japanese way of eating. It's a seasonal um, complex carbohydrates, so no refined stuff. Yeah. It's complex carbs and fruits and seasonal stuff. So it's always, always got to be in the season that you live in, in the temperament and the climate that you live in. <laughs> Um, so when I went to Kitsu, I actually used the knowledge that I gained from doing that. And I said, I'm going to practice that with ketogenic because they allow you to, to eat all these things that aren't seasonal to make things that substitute carbohydrate, like breads and stuff with seeds. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get very simple, very seasonal. It's got to be something that grows in this climate. Right. And I believe that was my kind of my head start was this mindset that it's got to be you know, an ancestral kind of diet. What would we eat in our climate? And within the first couple of months, I was stabilizing scans, which was unexpected and unfortunate. <laughs> but I believed in it wholeheartedly. You know, I, I embraced the change. I was like, I've got to do this with all my heart. <laughs> I can't give in to temptation, addiction. I had to change my mindset. Um, and then um, I think it was two and a half, three years in, um, my tumor became operable, which was also unheard of. <laughs> I was like, you know, I gave myself the chance to get to this point. And I accepted the operation. We actually got pregnant uh, like eight months before that. <laughs> I think so, something like that. I can't remember exactly. It's a long time ago. But yeah, we got pregnant in that time. And I was like, this wasn't supposed to happen. You know, I was supposed to be dying. <laughs> um. And then I had the operation and they removed about 70%. The rest disappeared because I was doing a strict ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started to eat more. So I had more calories. I was eating too many calories, um, having too much fat, uh, incorporated berries. And within a year, I had a reoccurrence. I gained two stone in weight, which wasn't supposed to happen on a ketogenic diet. <laughs> Is supposed to lose weight, but because I was I was in uh, having too many calories, basically I gained weight, too much fat, too many calories, too many meals. All right, because so I wanted the comfort. I decided the comfort was what I needed. I had no visible sign of tumor. I needed a break. <laughs> yeah, stop being so strict, Pablo. You'll be okay. And then um, I had a reoccurrence in 2018. Uh, fortunately, I went to a conference in 2000, end of 2017. Uh, where I met a guy called Misha Sakharov, and he said, if you ever need anything, I'm doing something completely different for brain tumors, and you're welcome to, to listen and join me. So I had the reoccurrence, and I called him up on WhatsApp, and I said, what can I do? And funnily enough, I had a seizure. I had a, almost had a seizure when I was talking to him. I said, I've got, I've got to put the phone down. And he was listening, and he said, Pablo, what I want you to do is to close your mouth a breath in through your nose and fill your belly and hold it don't do anything else just hold it and focus on that and i calmed my seizure down <laughs> i was like okay this guy's got some techniques that will work and then he said what well, i want you to do now because i calmed myself down i said what what are you doing that's different and he said i'm doing carnival diet so we're eating um beef and lamb nothing else no bipedals and we're doing organ meats and bone broth and we're doing intermittent fasting right. Yeah. And he said, I want you to cut out the supplements because I was taking supplements uh, a long time. Uh -huh. So I did all this and I got the same result. 
better result because it was stable, <laughs> but there was no side effects from taking loads of supplements because I was feeling kind of sick when I was taking supplements. I was taking too many, costing me a lot of money. Yeah. What kind of supplements were you taking? Um, just anti-inflammatories mostly. Um, mm. Yeah, things to reduce glucose. So there's a berberine supplement. Mm. Um, yeah, things kind of just tailored to cancers, really, to anti-inflammatory stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you went um, cold turkey on those and cold turkey. You just said go cold turkey, stop eating that, and just do do this stuff and get uh, grounding, have sunlight exposure, try and mm -hmm. wake up with the sun, um and fast for you know 16, 18 hours, I think. Make sure you're having bone broth daily. I mean, I'm not at the minute we're not doing bone broth because it takes a lot of time and we're not really we got children. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stuff to manage. Um, yeah. So I'm doing what I can. That's why I got your supplements. And I, you, know, you offer me supplements. But yeah, I really need that in my life because <laughs> uh, uh, organs are the most nutritious kind of um, supplement that you can have. Yeah. Yeah. When it's whole food nutrition. Yeah. And we're yeah. extremely happy, privileged to be able to sponsor you. So, so yeah. Yeah, I'm grateful. <laughs> so you're pretty strict now. Pretty strict. I mean, I'm not as strict as I could be because I still let my le my ego control me, my addictions. So dairy is something I'm addicted to. <laughs> I try not to have too much, but like right now, I'm having a milkshake with some some liver powder in and stuff. Well, it's got a raw egg, so I I go, oh, it's okay because I'm having this stuff, these added things, these added supplementations. But I know it's not. You know, there's a, a inflammatory kind of aspect to dairy modern dairy if i was to have raw it'd be less inflammatory there'd be more gut biome stuff going on but i take it you're not able yeah i'm starting to kind of realize that if i really want to be mm -hmm. uh, maintaining this tumor and reducing its effect on my life i've got to be as strict as <laughs> i'm telling myself i should be you know i've got to stop procrastinating but that's the next hurdle getting over my ego and saying i don't need to enjoy myself <laughs> that's all it is you know i enjoy the meats i love the meats and i'm pretty much keto for so i'm having onion uh which isn't really carnival <laughs> yeah i know um and and it's not like you can't enjoy yourself in other ways yeah, yeah. It have to be through your belly and um yeah um and you you come to like really appreciate meat and organs because you d you have a different relationship with yeah. food yeah so it's not for comfort but no. with more of an addictive personality comes all those kind of crutches where yeah, i mean that's the thing when i was when i was young before i met rebecca i was smoking weed all the time smoking cigarettes taking drugs to suppress my my identity <laughs> yeah it's a to, to it was a facade basically i was playing the game of i've got to be cool i want people to like me this is where I fit in. I love the music that we're listening to and all this stuff. It opened my mind, but it also shut me down. I wasn't able to love myself. I was afraid of that. Mm. Uh, from a young age, I had some trauma that I was carrying. So one day I said, I can't do this because I'm pushing, I'm hurting everyone around me, my loved ones. I was pushing people away. And I just said, I'm going to stop smoking can uh, cannabis. I'm going to stop smoking tobacco. I'm going to stop drinking sociably. I did it cold turkey and I pushed so many people away and I, they kind of despised me. <laughs> and I realized 
if if all it takes is me stopping doing drugs and this that people will realize they can't hang out with me then it's such a fickle lifestyle very much and when i started to kind of uh what's the word detox mm-hmm. that's when i decided to do something i went to a photography course and i met rebecca <laughs> on this course and we kind of fell in love it was like it was almost fate happened there's these all these things that happened that drew us together and um see how do you not up at that point and gone enough even though yeah i kind of that's the thing like as soon as i realized that i was enough and i was okay with myself i found love and i was like what is this i used that when i got cancer i said you know there's more available you know I, I was open to the availability of life i was like initially i was scared shitless but when i was told it's G- gbm4 and you're gonna die essentially they don't they can't pull any punches they've got to say the facts of what they know and scientifically it's so cold-hearted <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes you've got gbm4 uh and i said i know what that means because i've researched it and i was like it's the worst possible outcome and i said i just kind of shouted fuck my life <laughs> Because I really thought my life's fucked. What can I do? And I was in this space of, you know, like you become kind of zoned in. There's like nothing but this zone you're in. And I look over at Becky and my mom and I see them suffering. <laughs> I'm fully connected to that because I'm also suffering. And I realize that they're hurting too. And that it's not just about me, this dying thing. And that I need to comfort Rebecca. So I comforted Rebecca. And in doing that, I realized that love was possible. <laughs> I was like, I've got to embrace this feeling that I'm feeling for these people. That I seem to care more about them than I do about me dying. <laughs> and then in that moment, I said, I'm going to live. I can't give in to this fear of death. I'm going to live. I'm going to live with love. And I told myself these things internally. And I said, yeah, what can I do? What's available to me? I didn't go, oh, this is it, the be all and end all, I'm dying. I've got to listen to what they say, because I'm not that kind of person anyway. I, I experimented with drugs. I was open to what was possible. So I just said, yeah, can I do? And I'd already done the research, because I was already thinking on this wavelength. But when they told me, I was like, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. <laughs> you could never be ready for that. Yeah. But it was the death of the ego that I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to, had to listen to it. <laughs> You know, because at the beginning, I pushed everyone away. I said, fuck you. You know, you can't tell me what to do. Sure. When I decided to decline standard of care, I didn't uh, question anyone else and say, what should I do? Is this right? I just said, I'm going to listen to my gut. Because <laughs> it's about me. That You know, this choice is mine. Mine alone. No one can make it for me. And unfortunately, I lost a friend. The friend who set up my my GoFundMe page to raise money so I could get through my treatments of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. When I said, I'm not doing those therapies, he said, well, I can't watch you die. And he he disconnected completely. But that's his ego getting in the way. <laughs> and it's still in the way. Because like this, uh, nine years later, he won't talk to me still. Mm. And I'm like, how, how much is it affecting him that he can't embrace me when I'm reaching out, you know, saying, I'm here. <laughs> But you know, you know that's that's life. We lose people, we lose connection, but we gain new ones. That's hard, and it's <laughs> it, it's down to him. And yeah, it's not me. It's not me. I can't I can't force anyone to do anything that I'm yeah, not doing myself. Maybe yeah, it'll just take a lot longer for him to kind of reconcile that. But I don't I don't think we need each other. I think that's just how it is. Some people need each other, other people don't. 
but I'm grateful for what he did for me. Unfortunately, everything we learned got back to him because his his uh, wife, now wife, she got breast cancer, I think. She used diets and supplementation. She thought, he was like, I'm aware that Pablo's doing this stuff, but I'm not going to talk to him. <laughs> he went to see my mom and said, what can I do? And she gave all the literature that we compiled and said, this is what you can do. These are possible possibilities. Yeah. So in a way, doing what I've done, I've helped him yeah. find his love, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's come from there's the karma, and yeah. it was a chapter, and it was intense, and you think you're going to, you know, last um, with that relationship, but it doesn't always happen. It's quite, it's quite curious how life can work in that way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I mean, is is there anything in particular? Uh, given the journey that you've been on the last nine years and maybe kind of even before maybe even with the ego side of things which is is always very much at play at all times you know even when you are kind of you've got it kind of dampened well, like when, when people say well done for surviving I get really gleeful and I'm like I shouldn't feel so happy about this because someone I'm just in and I was the I'm encouraging the ego but then I'm like why shouldn't I feel happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think you can i think it's okay i think it's allowed i mean is there is there anything that stands out for you that perhaps you haven't yet shared um that uh the community could um kind of have as a, a as a takeaway and, and maybe it's it's more of a kind of holistic statement in terms of you know how things have been for you and where you're at now is that I mean, really a question? Sorry about sorry. that. Was that even a question? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if you're referring to, like, question five on your list. I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, in, I, wrote, I wrote an answer, which was simplify your lifestyle in such a way that there is less to want and to need from it. Quality and quantity of life can be refined. So, you know, we all want things beyond our, our that we don't need. <laughs> All these things, all these um, relationships, all these ideas. But, but when you really just yeah, say, what do I, what do I actually need now? <laughs> it usually boils down to a relationship with either yourself, you know, compassion for yourself, compassion for another. Yeah. I had no choice in taking this step. I literally had no choice. If I had ignored the higher self, we'd call it the higher self, that was talking to me saying, listen, got a chance because <laughs> i'd been doing this journey of changing since i was younger you know when i was seven i witnessed something that broke me essentially my my relationship between man and woman how i was so i became very introvert very shy didn't know how to treat women so i always joked around with them i, I teased them i can't it was you know, <laughs> initial childish response to a woman is to act in a certain way childish manner and as I was growing, that led me to cannabis. You know, someone forced me to smoke a cigarette and then I got addicted to that and then I got addicted to cannabis and it suppressed this fear of women and society and whatever was going on with my trauma. So I'd already made the journey from a very young age when I was seven years old. So I was, I was aware of this person talking to me saying, you know, not, not me, not my ego, not my mind, not my thoughts, but it's something behind me saying, you're not actually doing this yeah you're afraid for some reason mm. and i was ignoring it <laughs> that's why i did drugs 
I thought I could expand my mind by doing drugs, yeah. be more confident by doing drugs. Okay. So and then I learned how to step out of that situation and I changed myself. Yeah. And then I met Rebecca. <laughs> and then I got very ill because I had no money. I was eating a poor nutritional diet when I was in college. And mm-hmm. I got very ill. I got the mumps and then I had my first vaccination. Um, which got rid of the mumps, but I think it had uh, side effects, which probably gave rise to this tumor. I can't be certain, but it's just a gut feeling that I poisoned myself, and then my cancer cells, cancer cells stopped dying <laughs> in my brain. And then I, you know, then I got cancer. Basically, within two years of falling in love, I got cancer. <laughs> so they go, oh, now I need to take this step. You know, the big leap that I wasn't willing to take before. I'd found love. I was like, you know, we'll play the game of life. Buy a car, buy a house, have children, live the life that everyone dreams of. No, and all that's not for me anymore. I'm going to become impotent if they give me chemotherapy. I'm going to get all these side effects. And I'm like, I've got to choose what's wisest. Suffering and dying or living and dying. (laughs) So I had no step in making that choice, and they, you know, it was my, it was, it was made for me. And what I've learned from this is that everyone has a choice. You know, we believe that our path is made for us. We believe poverty is our only choice. For example, I'm in poverty, yeah. but the universe is looking after me. I get people booking consultations when I'm really struggling, and I'm like, "Wow, thank you, <laughs> thank you, universe, for this blessing." Um, I'm really grateful for it. Um, but yeah, feeling your body and learning to be more intuitive is that I think it's something we're born with and we lose when we get an ego identity, when we're taught how to think and how to feel. It's we are literally educated to be slaves to the system. And what mm. I'm learning right now, I've got this book <laughs> that I would like, I mean, everyone should look into this. It's called the I don't know if you can see that. No, it's called the Sovereign Project okay. Handbook. Okay. Yeah. It's all about the words that authority, we, what we believe is authority, it's, it just means author of, okay? They're the author of certain legal uh, wordings. So it forces us to believe they have more power. But if you, this book basically tells you how to understand the words used in society to keep us enslaved. And what I'm doing is I'm learning how to free myself from that slave enslavement. <laughs> mm. Um, because I'm a slave to the benefit system. And if I actually choose to be, then I'll remain there for the rest of my life. But I'm choosing to take action now and understand it and not become a slave. And I think everyone has a choice. Yeah. It's like I've taken the choice to heal my body or try to. (laughs) And that's led me to this feeling like I've got to free myself from my enslavement to my addictions and how I, you know, because I'm kind of enslaved to the television. I play computer games and all this stuff, and I distract myself. But I could just get outside. I could stand on the earth. I could learn how to be alone with my thoughts, <laughs> maybe become more creative for it. Mm-hmm. But I'm sat here, you know, staring at screens. I'm like, oh, but this is my this is my life because I've got fatigue. I've got all these problems that come with having a brain tumor. Mm. I don't want to do anything else because it causes strain. But then if I go out and I walk, or I do some exercise, or I push myself, I find that I don't want to watch TV anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it's what you'd call conscious incompetence, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you're, we're we're always on that journey. 
And, you know, there's nothing wrong with computer games, right? But it's just maintaining a little bit of a balance between that. Yeah, well, I think that the biggest message is everything in excess can kill you. (laughs) Kill your mind, kill your body. So, like, you know, carbohydrates aren't necessarily all bad, right? Right. The fact that they're treated badly by uh, farmers who are told to. So farmers don't have a choice in this. Mm-hmm. When in Australia, I believe the toxic farming is on a whole other level. You've got organic farming. In America, it's even worse. They force organic farmers to spray. They don't have a choice in that. We'll take your farm away. We'll lock you up. All this stuff, you know, it's an enslavement of our freedoms. Um, mm-hmm. Food should be the most freest form of nutrition. But it's so toxic. <laughs> so unreliable and no one knows it because we're being told that the way society works is correct <laughs> the way food works is how it should be but i know farming like you're a farmer right so you produce your own animals or uh, in in terms of background um Kalininga, the uh, co-founders of grassland nutrition they were uh limous- beef limousine farmers for 40 years uh, originally in Denmark and then in New South Wales uh, for a long time. Um, so, so yeah, th- there's a kind of deep understanding of of the products, where they come from, how to source them. Um, you know, where where there are shortcomings, you know, um, in in the process. But um, and that and that's why we source our raw product from um, a conglomerate organization called OBE Organic where um, it, the, the farms are based in Queensland um, out here. And you're talking vast, vast um, areas where the, where the cows graze, where, you know, they wouldn't be able to, um, there wouldn't, wouldn't be any kind of management of, you know, crops spraying. Um, it, it's, yeah. just, it's so vast. Um, and that, that really guarantees that, um, that's clean yeah because if cows can roam they can have the healthiest lifestyle yeah exactly so um you know we are absolutely ethical in what we do because of our background and with that knowledge and knowing how things work but by the sheer nature of the landscape um so so it's uh yeah it's a kind of double win really um so so yeah that there is that understanding and um yeah because I mean, what you're doing is a reparative thing, isn't it? It's just trying to yeah. supply the body with the ability to repair itself. Precisely. Yeah. Our bodies are really deficient in, in B12, for example. Yeah. Um, um, iodine um, is, is a big one and um, it affects our immunity, um, our thyroid capabilities. So um, there's an, an awful lot of thyroid issues um, in the world today. And a teaspoon and a half of kelp can make all the difference. Uh, but I, I think um, where, where we differ is where um, kelp has been added to the organs that um, form part of our products. And that creates that real kind of unique energy boosting um, immunity. But through the power support of all yeah. They all support each other, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. You know, I've I've got a history of having gut health um, issues with stress uh, and trauma equally. Um, so, um, delivering kelp is a non-negotiable for me, uh, day to day. Yeah. Uh, 
And how are you? How are you finding the products? They're they're obviously like a bit. Yeah, more I mean, convenient. because obviously I've got a lot of um, my mental acuity is is affected fully by this this two operations plus the tumor. So, I guess. I've got more energy to do things that I would like to just go, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, I'm more capable <laughs> in putting myself a little bit every day. And I, I try and stick to everything I'm doing. And it's it's hard because like part of me just wants to go, you know, relax, rest, do nothing. But I can't let everyone do my work for me. So my mindset is pushing me. <laughs> and yeah, if I can boost my immunity and my, my, um, my health in that area, my nutrition, then I've got to do it. You know, it's, it's non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah, good. Love it. Well, you know, there's plenty more where, you know, the, yeah. the audience came from. Um, we're about to bring out some new products as well that um, yeah, might be might be useful for you in, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in the whole ecosystem of, of what you're doing. It's been lovely to talk to you. Um, we don't have much time left. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Um, not particularly, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I pretty much said all I could say, you know, mm. basically just about loving your body, loving your family, because they're the most, they're the closest people you're gonna have to your true friends, right? Because <laughs> everyone's withholding something, but yeah. when you're in love, you know you don't withhold. And uh, I think when I got the tumor, I had to learn to love it. Um, I mean, I can't hate it. If I hate it, it gains power over me. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, you know, you're a part of me. You're always, I mean, cancer cells are always a part of us. Just at some point. Your body is so unhealthy, it doesn't kill them anymore. They don't die off. They just do, oh, your body's not doing the correct thing. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, that's poignant. I love it. Thanks for joining us today to hear more about the spiritual path Pablo has been on. I was incredibly inspired by this conversation and hope you took away great insights as well. See the show notes to gather more information about Pablo's journey through cancer See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Grassroots Matters podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, or leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back again for the next episode.